0: Today on the show, we're talking about contentment as it relates to personal finance. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name is Courtney. I'm joined with Trevor, and thank you so much for being here with us today as we talk about contentment as it relates to personal finance. So Trevor, we've done an episode on happiness before, but we're going to talk a little bit about how contentment is different than the idea of happiness and really elaborate on that concept. So do you have any opening thoughts for this episode?
1: Yeah, contentment sounds like we've kind of lowered the bar, but really once we get to the end of this episode, I think our listeners will find that contentment is is another angle on on happiness or, or a, a state of mind. So Contentment is is not lowering the bar. It, it's just an, another, another viewpoint.
0: So we are going to get into really the distinction between happiness and contentment in a few moments. But first, I want to just jump into the idea of contentment in itself. So... Before we even get into relating personal finance and contentment, let's talk about the idea of contentment in general and, and how it's defined. So um, I'll, I'll start off with a definition from Dan Palmer from penniesanddollars.com. And he defines contentment as uh, a learning to be happy in whatever situation you find yourself in. Contentment is a mindset change and involves adjusting your expectations to your circumstances.
1: Yeah, I, I really love that definition because expectations is really the key to, to contentment as far as I'm concerned. I, I have three kids and I have my, my youngest daughter. She goes about in life with her, her expectations either don't exist or they're extremely low and she seems, everything seems to work out for her. And when I talk to her, you know, why is it, you know, you're never disappointed and it's because she she says I I rarely have expectations, so how can I be disappointed? And so she seems content more often than not. And I think expectations is a big key driver in that.
0: That's a great point. And when, when I never thought of of how crucial expectations is to your overall level level of contentment because it it really is it really is a defining factor. Because if you don't like you said if you don't have expectations, you're not going to be let down.
1: And I don't want I don't want our listeners to think you know we're lowering the bar so we can just easily step over it, because sometimes expectations are are a motivator. Sometimes sometimes expectations are what drive people to succeed. So it doesn't work in every scenario. And sometimes I I do wish my daughter had expectations around certain things. So you know. It almost sounds like we're saying don't have goals and dreams and aspirations, and that's not the, the point I'm trying to make. Sometimes expectations are, you know, you have a, you've developed a, a, a vision in your mind of what a a vacation destination would look like, and, you know, when you get there, it doesn't look like that, and you're disappointed, but you spend all this money to go on vacation, you know what a what a waste that would be, so. It, In certain situations, you need to set expectations, but I would say in the leisure part of your life, expectations can be your enemy.
0: No, I'd have to agree with that because expectations are definitely necessary and recommended for, for majority of things. But, but like you hit it right on the nose by saying that, no, they're not really needed for leisure activities. And, and like you said, if you, it'll take away the disappointment because on leisure activities, you're generally out there for a good time anyway.
1: You know, when I buy a gadget, like an electronic gadget, I'll, I'll say like a, like an iPad or a Kindle or, or, you know, I'll see the latest iPhone and all of its features, and uh, the longer I think about getting that particular gadget, the greater the expectations I, I have in my mind that, that this thing is going to deliver. And so, if I wait, the longer I wait, I always end up being more and more disappointed when I finally get it because I've built up the expectations of this this electronic device beyond its its capabilities. So, so, so I, I I've learned that if I think I want want that and I can afford it. I should just go get it and not think about it too long because I'll be disappointed if I do.
0: It's funny you bring that up because if if you think to Christmas or, or any holiday that our listeners may celebrate, I'm sure all our listeners can agree that getting surprised, I mean, I got surprised with an iPhone for Christmas one year and I had no idea I was going to receive one and I absolutely loved it way more than I think I would have if I knew I was going to get one or or I was building up to get one. I mean, I had an iPhone 4 at the time, so it was dated. I I didn't need a new iPhone, so it wasn't a crazy purchase, but I wasn't expecting it. And I think I cherish my iPhone so much more now because it was something that, again, I had no expectations of getting.
1: Yeah, well, surprise gifts are always the best. And that's probably why I never really sat back and thought why you know, a surprise gift is, is generally the, one of the best gifts you get, and that, that that makes a lot of sense.
0: Or even surprise experiences, if uh, a surprise birthday party or a surprise trip, I think both eliminate the expectation and you just revel in the moment and enjoy being present.
1: Yeah, it's easy to be content when you weren't expecting it. So I think expectations and contentment are, are things that you need to consider uh, at the same time
0: oh for sure so I want to move on to talking about another definition so this one is from Trent ham it's from the simple dollar.com we we refer all the time to the simple dollar.com we'll have that in our show notes because it's incredible it's a incredible resource we really like all the articles and the content on this website but oh, big fan oh big huge. Fan of the Sim-
1: yeah and the it, it's a it's a fabulous website great resource and a lot of their stuff is timeless meaning it it, like this article, it's timeless. You, you could read this, you know, three years from now and it'll be just as impactful. So a lot of their stuff is timeless, which is, I, I seek that out specifically, timeless information.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, so this article is called Personal Finance and Life Contentment. Trent describes contentment as, quote, a state where I am generally pleased, not displeased with the state of my life. And the ground is fertile for bursts of happiness and bursts of sadness are rare. So I I really like the way Trent describes what contentment is, because I like to think of contentment as a continuum, not a dichotomy. So dichotomy is where you have two things that are polar opposites. So I think it's easy to look at, at happiness and sadness as two extreme emotions. And when you're not feeling one, you're feeling the other. So if you're happy, that means you're not sad, and if you're sad, it means you're not happy. But contentment is more of a continuum. So a continuum is just just a straight line, and you can be anywhere along the continuum, with happiness at one end and sadness at the other. So I, I really like this explanation because I, I think there's a really big misconception that if if you're if if you're you have to be one or you have the other, but really if you can exist in the middle or, or slightly one way or slightly the other, that means you are content.
1: Well, I think a lot of people look at happiness as a destination and it it rarely is. It's, it's a, it's a frame of mind. So if, if people believe happiness is a destination, then contentment is, is the, the road to happiness, I I guess, as a way of looking at it. But I think it's, it's utterly exhausting to try to be happy all the time or seek happiness all the time that, that can just be exhausting and expensive too.
0: And 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 that's what Trent goes on to explain is that it it is something that it's it's not it is achieved easily but if you maintain a happy state a truly happy state then when amazing moments come up you you won't you're already in this happy state that that's, that there's nowhere else to go. So it's actually healthy to be able to bring yourself back down to your quote unquote neutral state to be able to be, have an elevated mood when necessary. And that's really taking it down to its basics. I mean, we don't really think about happiness at that level, but that's essentially what contentment is about.
1: Well, and we've said this on on the show before that a lot of people, when they buy an object or a possession, like a new computer or a new phone, they think it's bringing them happiness, but what it's bringing them is excitement. And Excitement is extremely short-lived. Happiness is, you know, relatively short-lived. Contentment is, is something that, you know, after reading this article, it's something that can be constant.
0: And we'll, I'm gonna, we're going to get on to talk about that constant state in a minute, but I do want to talk about how contentment truly looks different for everyone. And and everyone will find contentment in different, in different things, in different places, and and it's really something that's so individualistic to each person.
1: And I think it's something you need to work at. Contentment is, is you know, one of the enemies of contentment is envy. And that that can unravel contentment in a hurry.
0: So Trevor, I want to jump now to talking about the distinction between happiness and contentment because the, I feel those two words are used really interchangeably. Yeah, I,
1: well, I, like I said, I, I think happiness is is often thought of as a destination. And contentment is really j- just being, like if you aren't content with the things you have, you will never be content with acquiring new things. If you can't learn to to enjoy and appreciate the things you already have, You you have no hope of of these new things delivering that contentment in the future.
0: So to move on to talking about the distinction between happiness and contentment, in Trent Ham's article, he describes happiness as extremely fleeting and moments that come and go and uh, simply fade away. Trevor, do you agree with this statement?
1: Yeah, I think happiness is... you know, trying to pursue happiness, I I don't think we're designed to be happy. I think happy is the exception, not the rule. And I don't even know, uh, like happiness is, is a relative concept as well. Like it's, you're, you're happy relative to a previous situation. It's always reflecting back, right? It's, it's never a forward looking thing. Whereas contentment is more of a forward-projecting mindset, and happiness is really reflective. It, it it's you can only be happy about things that have already happened. You you can't be happy. I guess you can be excited about things that are going to happen in the future, but happiness is really is a historical event.
0: I really like that distinction, and it truly is. It, Trent Hamm and all these other authors say that happiness really is comes quickly and leaves quickly, and he Trent goes on to describe contentness, as too as this default state. So, you were talking about that earlier, Trevor. Having this kind of your, I guess your your base, your home base, where you go back to um, when you're not extremely high or low. So, what does that d- default state mean?
1: Well, to start with, so the the, the happy inside, the peaks and valleys are, are 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 not healthy at all. They're not good for anybody. And it's just a roller coaster that you have to get off of. And contentment is really just appreciating what you have. It's it's almost a form of meditation sometimes to get you into that that mindset. But if you think about once you've satisfied your basic needs, you know what I will call the the Maslow hierarchy of needs. Most of those are satisfied with a very uh low amount of money and the the that produ- that delivers contentment when you satisfy those basic maslow hierarchy, hierarchy of needs and then after that we we spend huge amounts of money trying to seek out happiness uh, beyond that and uh, like this article says it's fleeting it's very momentary and and, and, you know, we'll dump a, a huge a boatload of money trying to get that happiness, you know, that that is beyond contentment. And it, it is it's a it, and again, we're trying to seek it out as a destination when really it, it's a moment.
0: I really like the incorporation of the Maslow hierarchy needs because it's so true in that if if everyone's hierarchy of needs are truly satisfied then one has no excuse not to live um, a content life in where their default their default state is contentment
1: well you know we talked about an episode can money buy happiness well you know it, it can it can buy you shelter food safety and security you know those are the things that you're gonna if you buy those things with your money you're not buying happiness you're buying contentment you're buying Comfort, and really, that's that's, and I remember reading. So I think it was the the dollar amount was, any anybody earning over forty thousand dollars a year, their happiness, and this was an article on happiness. I know we're talking about contentment, but their happiness dropped off dramatically for every the the more money they earned. You know, they they didn't get you know exponentially happier or linearly happier. the impact f- fell off dramatically
0: and that that point right there brings so true to the idea of contentment and and how happiness is that fleeting moment and i really do want to point out that i think if an indi- individual is not sure or not comfortable with their with having a default state if if one doesn't realize that that if you're not happy you're sad if, that, if that's how someone thinks, then if they move into a default state without knowing it, they may perceive themselves, because they're not happy, as sad automatically and and, and try to constantly fix that when there's nothing wrong with being in the default state. So I really think that could be a trigger to, to why um, individuals spend money to to bring themselves happiness because they're not aware that their default state is okay state to be in.
1: No, I, I agree with that. It's that, that's, that's the whole key. The, you know, I, I I had read a thing and I I experienced this myself that I, I, often you get more happiness by eliminating, or sorry, I want to use happiness wrong, contentment. (laughs) You'll end up with more contentment in, in your life by getting rid of something in your life as opposed to adding something to your life.
0: Which is really counterintuitive if you actually sit down and think about it because, or maybe not even counterintuitive, but just not how society has raised us.
1: But if you think, if you, if you got rid of a toxic person out of your life, that's going to make your life far more content than adding a shiny new car in your driveway. You know, that, that toxic person, you know, if... If they're around you constantly and they're just draining your energy day after day after day, if you can get rid of that, that's going to make a bigger difference in your life than adding some new, shiny new possession.
0: Or even to keep the example with people as well, you're it's it's you're going to feel more content if you eliminate that one person instead of adding in or or, or forcing yourself, not forcing, but adding in maybe five new friends. I, I, I think the elimination of negative, negativity and, and things that are weighing you down is so much more positive than adding things in.
1: Well, another, uh, Here's another example of getting rid of something. So I would talk to people, not to talk possessions. Let's just say you had two cars in your driveway and one was constantly breaking down, leaving you stranded countless times. And you couldn't afford to buy another car, but you decided it wasn't worth repairing that car anymore, so you just got rid of it imagine not having that burden to, to wonder if this car is going to let me down again. You know, so so you have one less car, but th- that car you got rid of, you don't have to worry, is this thing going to fail me one more time? You know, is it not going to get me to work one more time? You know, you know, so you end up with just one reliable car instead of one reliable car and one unreliable car. By getting rid of that uncertainty out of your life, you're going to be more content even though you, you have less possessions.
0: That's a fabulous example, and really, really illustrates that point. That again, less is more, and moving and eliminating stress from your life really is going to add to your level of contentment. So, I I talked about previously. I did talk about how individuals may purchase things, acu- accumulate things to bring happiness. It's I. It's almost the equivalent of emotional eating. You you you. Buy things or purchase things to to bring you that sense of happiness, but I, I'm sure none of our listeners and I and and I, you too, Trevor. I'm asking to ask you this, but have you ever purchased something to give yourself this heightened sense of happiness?
1: Well, you keep using the word happiness, but I think we mean to say contentment.
0: No, no, in this case, uh, purchase something to purposely make yourself happy. It, it so wrongfully purchase something. Because you you weren't content in that moment,
1: I, I have in the, in the past, but I've I've, I am you know, I'll say in the last ten years, I I no longer seek contentment or happiness through acquiring things. You know, I, I at my age I've acquired enough things that I I've come to realize that they're not they don't deliver what it is I need. So I, I don't do that anymore, but I certainly did in my younger years.
0: Do you remember the point in time or, or what really triggered you to take on a new mindset about being content and and how possessions weren't going to bring that contentness?
1: Well, it was really, I can't, the, the number of times I would, you know, so I was doing this twice a year. My garage would fill up with stuff, just crap. And my basement would fill up with stuff and crap. And so every fall, I would empty my garage and, and haul a bunch of stuff to the dump or to the recycling place. And I'd I'd get rid of that, and then every spring I would empty my basement into my garage, and then eventually again all that stuff would go to the dump or to recycling. And I I just year after year I started to see this pattern. You know, I I would spend all summer and all winter acquiring things, and all spring and all fall getting rid of things. And and I I thought this is crazy. I'm just spinning my wheels. So again, you do that often. You know, you go through that cycle so many times and you see the pattern and you just you start to say that this is insane i I can't keep doing this this is irresponsible on on so many levels so i mean that that, that's what woke me up or opened my eyes to this none of this is bringing contentment happiness or peace of mind or anything it's it's creating work and, and aggravation and it's consuming a lot of money and time
0: In those past 10 years, I I know you have kids. How did you, were able to balance your family's values and your values and really get everyone on board with the idea that acquiring more stuff isn't the way to go?
1: Well, so I have three kids. I wasn't able to convince all three of of that philosophy. Uh, Two of them bought into it. So, and I I, I don't, I'm not... uh, although it doesn't sound like it on this podcast, I'm not someone to shove my, my beliefs down people's throats. I, I like to share my ideas, and, and if people embrace them, I, I'll share more, you know, all the better. But I I might get excited about some theories I have, but I, I don't, you know, impose them on people. So I, I, let, I, my, I let my kids live their life. I, you know, I, I don't want to make their childhood miserable and, and feel like they were deprived, So I, but, but my, the kids that did buy into that philosophy, they were happy with that and they've adopted it in their, their own lives.
0: No, that's, I, I really love that piece of advice because I think, I think that's really crucial for maybe other parents who are listening to, to understand and and really empathize with how you approach that as a parent.
1: Well, I'll say my, my one daughter, my youngest daughter, who, who I, I say, I'll say didn't buy into that philosophy at the beginning and as she's getting older she's buying into it more or she's seeing the benefits of it and she is slowly moving in that direction so i i have some optimism there
0: and even before the show you're actually saying that your one daughter your youngest one has actually acquired less clothes because you, you were saying that she she likes to shop and she's been shopping less so i mean that that right there alone
1: yeah and she's she's starting to understand that the you know Well, not starting to she does understand that money's not a a limitless supply as she's been you know working summer jobs and earning money that she's starting to see that uh, that side of it which I think helps
0: oh for sure definitely I I want to move on to bringing in the personal finance I mean we have brought in the personal finance aspect already but I want to weigh it against all the other areas where contentness comes in so we have talked we've you know
1: I want it just on what you're saying there to our listeners, I want to say that it's no accident that we we tend to bring in the money part later in the show because, you know, you have to buy into these concepts wholeheartedly in, in, in all-encompassing. You can't just, you know, buy into these concepts as it relates to money. So we've talked about, you know, uh, contentment as a behavior and... And if you buy into contentment as a behavior, the money part becomes easy. So I just wanted to say, you know, it's no accident that, that you know, we're talking about the money part now.
0: No, I really like that you brought that up. And, and to your listeners, you may notice, like Trevor said, that that's an ongoing trend that we, we do bring it in first because we always say that we we're more than a personal finance podcast. We are really a lifestyle based podcast where... We, we we get below the money to the actual behaviors that are causing you to maybe not spend your money in the right way or save it in the right way. So again, this is, contentment is one of those great reasons why maybe things aren't going your way personal finance wise. So hopefully this might be a game changer in your world. So back to, back to talking about where contentment comes into play in your life. So we talked a little, so it comes into play in relationships, um, in work and And all those areas kind of accumulate together to create this sense of contentment overall. So Trevor, how big of a piece of the puzzle is personal finance in the whole contentment equation?
1: Well, I I think if you can become content with, with the things you have or, you know, the life you're living, then the money part becomes real easy. if you try to, if you just try to be content with my, with, with your money, I, I don't see how that works. I, I, you can't, like it's all encompassing. It's it's a sort of an all or nothing scenario. You can't just apply contentment to one aspect of your life. I guess you could, in relationships. You know, you you might be content with a small circle of friends, and and and, and if, if you know that not necessarily consumes money but you know if you're content with a you know a smaller home a more modest car uh, modest vacations if you're content with that kind of lifestyle it impacts your money in, in all those aspects so it's actually you know what a smaller circle of friends may also consume less money so i think just being content with every aspect of your life will have a financial impact
0: i i absolutely love that the the way you you formulate you, it's almost like a domino effect in that personal finances really or finances is really the the end of it all and that all your decisions will i love that impact your personal finances so i want to move on to talk about uh another article that we're going to be referencing it's called uh, it's an article by ashley Enneris. And it's entitled, Why Being Content is the Most Important Financial Principle from MoneyNing.com. We haven't talked about this website, but it has incredible resources as well. We'll link it in the show notes. And she does a great job at highlighting some common things that we may find ourselves saying. And, and the funny thing about the statements that she uses in her article is that it, they all start with the same thing. So they all start with, if only, if I, if I only. If I just and another one that she didn't have, but I thought worked as well is I should. So they all highlight the desire of wanting something that you don't currently have or are not are not in possession of.
1: You know, it, it, all of those are 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 really placing an expectation out in front of you. You know, they're they're all it. It not be even, even a backward looking expectation, but it's still placing an expectation in front of you and you know most of those you could finish with a higher expectation than maybe is realistic
0: no and you're exactly right bringing and you bringing expectations back in because it it's crucial and and i want to say that i think the expectations come from maybe not always oneself but others and 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 what you perceive that others think of you or what you perceive others think that you should want. So I I really think the force comes from, um, not within, but outward.
1: I, 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 agree with that. And, you know, you need to have social skills in the world, but sometimes you, you just sort of have to focus on yourself as well. You know, if you're so focused on everyone around you and not focused on you, I mean, that that's a recipe for, um, the opposite of content. I mean, that, that, that is discontent in every, Every, every form.
0: I, I think a good example of this and for any of our listeners who are just tuning in, um, Trevor has two very old but very well-maintained cars and we always talk about how your car is by far the oldest car in the parking lot but I think t- using that as an example would be a great um, a great example and that you could start a sentence off with I should have a newer car it, but, but it's something that you're okay with and and you don't want the stress of having to pay off um and uh, a new vehicle.
1: That's that is a good example. And you know the funny thing with with cars is, they reach a certain age where you think, yeah, you know they're getting kind of old, and, and maybe you're you're subconsciously a little ashamed of your car because it's it's aging. But once they cross a certain threshold, you move into bragging territory, and you move into a territory where. Yeah, my car is 13 years old. Can you believe it? Wait, is it it actually? I have one car that's 13 years old. Wow. And runs fabulous. I mean, I live in this small town. It gets no miles on it. So, I mean, it's going to last forever. I get the uh, rust checked under the body so there's no rust on it. Uh, But style-wise, it looks like an old-style car. And I've moved into uh, what I call bragging territory where... If people start talking about their cars, I'll I'll pipe up real loud and say, "Hey, I got one that's 13 years old, runs perfect."
0: Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that one. That's definitely uh, that's definitely well, something to brag
1: about. Well, us Canadians, you know, when you get snow, uh, you complain, but when you get lots of snow, you brag.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's 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 so true. So I want to talk more about where these feelings come from, the, the feelings of expectation, and and where all these. I just if I only sayings come from so I think it's the belief like I there's a couple but I think one of them is the belief that the idea of more will make you happier
1: yeah you know in it's important to know to have to know what it is you want like so I'll use retirement saving for retirement if you don't have a number the answer is always more so we talk about having a plan, you know, in every aspect of your life. I I, I may be accused of being planning too much, but having, having goals, documented goals, it it saves you from that. I think it does. It, 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 you know, by having documented goals, you're you're never going to ask that question because you'll know exactly where you stand.
0: And I love that you use the example of, of of nothing of something that's not exactly tangible. I, I mean, saving for retirement money that is tangible, but not in the sense that possessions are. So I love that example because it works really well.
1: So I'll, I'll give you an example of a real life example where I fall into this trap occasionally. Is I'll say, if only I had one of those uh, government pension plans, you know, that pay you for life. If only I had one of those. I I. I I catch myself saying that in my head occasionally. And that brings discontentment. But if you think of the dichotomy of control, and this is a good thing to help you through these when you fall into that trap, is you should focus only on the things that you can control. So I can't control that I wasn't able to get a job with a great government pension plan. You know i sought out those jobs I, I never got one i ended up getting a. I i thought i think I, I did well but uh i i always wanted one of those because of the pension plan but i i wasn't able to get one for whatever reason you know the wrong time uh, you know or the job wasn't a good fit or i didn't have enough experience or I had too much experience whatever the situation was and once you reach a certain age. You know, working for the government, you you can't get enough years in to get a full pension. So it, it becomes, it's kind of once time passes, its its value is lost. So I used I used to, I, used to I, I I must say I sometimes I still do if only because then you don't have to worry when you retire if you're going to run out of money because these pension plans pay you till you die. So I, I sometimes fall on that trap, but dichotomy and control says, you know what, I can't I can't control that. I I can't. I can't make those people choose to hire me, right? I I, I went to the interview. I, I wasn't what they were looking for. They hired somebody else. So focus on the things you can control.
0: No, I, I I really like that. I really do because I'm sure all our listeners can relate to even a job they applied for, uh, interviewed for, but weren't wasn't hired for. And I think that's a great relatable area. But again, that the example of control really does. It, 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 it really works across the board in all areas of your life. And I do, I I want to come back to that. When well, we... I
1: wanted to mention, there's another thing I, I've just read recently it's called the trichotomy of control. And it talks about, you know, uh, thinking about the things that you can influence. So you can't necessarily control them, but you can, can influence them. So it's sort of a, a third dimension to that, that old adage, I'll call it. And... You shouldn't worry too much about things you can influence, but you should think about them or ponder them or, you know, they're worth consuming some of your mind over.
0: I really like that because I think the idea, just keeping that in mind that there are things you can influence and that you can control alone, take away the personal finance aspect, will bring contentment to individuals' lives. And I want to come back to the idea of contentment. Scratch? I want to come back to the idea of control when we talk about our uh, suggestions for being more content. And, and, and the idea of control is going to fall really nicely in there. But before we get on to that, I, I want to talk more about uh, the feelings of should. So, I would, I'd like to argue that uh, the feelings of should really fall into some of the things we've talked about in past podcast episodes. So the idea of FOMO, fear of missing out, the idea of keeping up with the Joneses, the desire to live large and or live a life that's not yours. Um, would you would you say that just really the desire to, to live outside of your means is really the root of, of feeling bad that you're not maybe living up to what society says you should be doing.
1: Well, can you give me an example of where you say I should, and it's had a negative impact on you?
0: I can't really think of a time where something went wrong because if, if something does quote unquote goes wrong, I've always seemed to make the, a a good, a good situation out of that experience. So I'll give an example. Um, I, for any of your listeners, I just graduated from university I was looking for a job within my post-secondary degree field. So I graduated from communications and business. Um, And I applied to so many jobs within the city that I'm living at. And uh, nothing really panned out. I went to a ton of interviews, but uh, nothing really panned out. And so I applied. I'm uh, going to school for nutrition. I love health and nutrition. And so I applied at our local health food store. And I ended up getting a job there and I'm so happy there. I love it. And um, I'm going to start working on the supplements team, hopefully, when I start going to school. So it almost set me ahead more in that career than a job just in communications or just in a business field would have.
1: So you're saying if you would have followed through with the I should be working in communications, you wouldn't have ended where you are now.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's
1: a good example. I got one. So if our listeners think back to extra, our episode about extracurricular activities, so there was a whole bunch of I shoulds in there. So I don't know if any of our listeners remember, uh, I, have a, I had a daughter in competitive kayaking, and there was a winter camp down in Florida, and everyone would send their kids down there for uh, a two-week paddling camp at a, at a couple of grand a pop. And I said to myself, I should send my daughter down there you know if i want if she has any hope of being competitive and i didn't and i'm so glad i didn't because she ended up packing and kayaking uh, a year later as her social life expanded so i i i could i could have felt victim to who i should at that point but i didn't
0: so so both examples your example and my example seem rooted in what you believe you believe you should do based on I'm going to say societal societal pressures societal pressures because for me I had just graduated from university I had a degree and and I think that's that's where it kind of goes all wrong is because societal pressure said that I graduated from university I should get a job within my field, and I put a lot of pressure on myself to to get that job to to work a job that utilized directly utilized my education. But I mean, I, a degree in communications and business that only makes you a little bit more uh, business smart, and a little bit more savvy with communication. So that's going to benefit me anywhere and everywhere. And and your example, Trevor, really you if you followed along with the societal pressure, you would not be looking out for the number one, you in your personal finance situation.
1: No, and that's where I should usually falls apart is, and if you have to say I should, it probably isn't something you want. You know, if I should comes into your mind, it's you convincing yourself that this is a good idea when maybe at heart it's, you know, you're already content, you don't need this, but you feel you should be doing it.
0: I absolutely love that you brought that up because I think that is one of the 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 core problems or
1: So that should be a red flag. I yeah. should. I should should be, you know, throw a knot on the end of that every time.
0: And and that's really why I really admire individuals who are living a an extremely alternative lifestyle. Are living in a tiny home. Our are, are are doing something extraordinary that the rest of society maybe isn't doing because they're living a life that is full of shoulds and they're living this life so confidently different than everyone else's and not, not even paying attention to things that they should be doing. Well, you know,
1: it's really hard to go against the grain of society. You know, it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of reflection, a lot of, you know, second guessing yourself when you're going against the grain of society. So, you know, on this podcast, we talk about, you know, deliberate lifestyle choices. I'm hoping most of those choices are, you know, most of the choices are going to be going against the grain of society. And, you know, unless you like the direction the rest of society is going into, which is a lot of debt and a lot of, you know, working till they're 75 and, and in and stress on the job because they owe so much money. You know, that's society. If you want to go against the grain of that, which I would highly promote, it takes a lot of energy to do it. It takes a lot of second guessing, but I I tell you, it's worth it.
0: And I'd say a lot of determination and dedication to, uh, and and really self, self self-motivation to really stick with it.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not an easy road, but we've said this before in life, easy decisions, hard life, hard decisions, easy life.
0: Oh, exactly. So I want to jump into uh, the the last section of uh, today's podcast. And and that's where we're going to talk about um, Trent Ham's and Ashley's really ideas for being content and really avenues to to go down and and parts of your life that you can really work on to reach full contentment and and funny enough when like we said during this episode a lot of these do not directly have to do with personal finance but like we said contentment is reaching contentment is really an all-encompassing part of your life and in order to be content when it pertains to how you spend money you have to be content in in every place in your life and
1: i absolutely love this list i mean this list is so spot on i i I, I I mean, I, you could put this on your fridge and live by it.
0: We'll definitely have it in the show notes so you can refer back. But we'll start off with number one, and number one is to write down your blessings.
1: So these are the things that you are, you know, grateful for. You know, you know, healthy children, maybe your own health. I mean, things that you overlook every single day, but but some people don't have, and. It's so easy to overlook because you, just, you take all this stuff for granted. So, I mean, I live in a, a safe town, no crime. Uh, I have, I'm, I'm healthy. I, I can get around quite well. I know a lot of people that don't have those things.
0: And, and that rings true with Ashley's example. Her example in the article was, quote, so what if our house is only at 950 square feet? We have a roof over our heads and a bed to sleep in, end quote. And that and that really rings true in that, like you said, it's, it's the little things that you, you may take for granted that really, I think, make up a huge part of why you should be content. Number two is to... Improve your physical health through exercise and better eating. Again, this one has nothing to do directly with personal finance, but we all know that your physical health is is really is really what's going to be the foundation for your success.
1: And this one is completely free as far as I'm concerned. I mean, okay, you got to pay money to eat food, but most of the healthy eating is done at home, not at restaurants. So, I mean, that's as bad as you... That that's as cheap as eating gets, is when you're eating at home, and in, in terms of physical health, I mean, if you just went for a walk every day, you know, a five-kilometer walk, other than a pair of shoes, that's free, and you, it, it's it's available to everybody.
0: And I I know this is getting a little bit off topic, but one of the in, in Ashley's article, she even said that. One of the reasons someone might not be content in this area of their life is because, oh, I don't have enough. If only I had more money to spend on nutritious food. But like you said, eating nutritiously, eating clean does not have to be expensive. And I, again, that is all marketing that comes into play that tries to convince us otherwise.
1: Well, and, and I don't know the number of people that have gym memberships or, you know, they, they don't exercise because they can't afford a gym membership. You don't need a gym membership exercise is free.
0: And I, and I think the sooner we realize that it's a, we make it more complicated than it needs to be and that we can actually, we can actually reach both of these through, through ourselves, by ourselves. And so every, everyone listening to this today, you might be, you're probably already there. If you're eating nutritiously, if you're eating basic, but clean, if you're going for a walk daily, just, just know you're, you're this area of your life is pretty content.
1: I mean to move the needle on that one that's just goal setting documented goal setting
0: and and that's really the difference between goal setting and being content and and and, and how you will make sure you're not sedentary is because because you are setting goals so you can be content and set goals and that way you make sure you're always moving forward and and not moving backwards so number three, it's really in line with number two. And number three is improve your mental health through adequate sleep. And the uh, the author also threw in meditation and prayer, if if that's something that you like to practice or do. But really, the emphasis is on sleep. And Trevor, I think uh, getting sleep is uh, pretty easy, but probably something that maybe we don't focus enough on.
1: You know, whenever I hear something about sleep, I always bring this up. I'm a huge fan of, of military history. So I read a lot about World War One. That's the particular area of history that fascinates me the most and of all the horrors of world war one the gas attacks and the 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 meat grinders people went through i mean it was just a horrific war one of the things they talk about is the 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 traumas the soldier suffers was sleep deprivation you know for all the horrible things that happened in that war sleep deprivation comes up all the time in the history books i read so you cannot underestimate the impact of is if inadequate or poor sleep,
0: and I'm sure our listeners can agree that you, you know what it's like after a bad night's sleep, or you don't get enough sleep, and you only get five hours instead of seven or eight. You make poor choices. You, maybe you spend money. Maybe your self discipline is a little bit lower. Maybe you're, weak. you're, you're weakened. Yeah, way weakened. And I mean, and no one is, no one can pretend they don't know what this is. Cause we've all maybe not got enough sleep, but. We all know what that's like. We, we kind of regret our decisions and, and we're not thinking straight. So I think this is so important to thinking clear. I mean, even go back to just eating. We, we probably don't make good food choices when we don't have enough sleep. So this directly applies to spending money as well. Like,
1: like sleep, sleep deprivation is a form of torture, actually. So it, it, That it says weak- a consume. lot. It, it, it makes you vulnerable and weak. And, and that is your enemy in life.
0: I completely agree. So again, so one to three so far have been pretty simple and something that you can really implement today to start becoming more content with your life. So we'll get to number four. Number four is simplify your life. And we've broken this down into uh, an A, B, and a C because all these kind of fall within simplifying your life. And the first one is find fulfilling hobbies that don't require continual purchases for enjoyment.
1: So I, I got into the hobby of uh, furniture making and woodworking. And you want to talk about a hobby that consumes money. That one is a monster. I remember reading an article in a magazine. A guy was a, a mason, like a bricklayer. And he raised a family of five kids and put them all through college or university. And all the tools he needed fit into a bucket. And he had a hobby on the side, and it was woodworking furniture making. And he'd been at it for 20 years and he still hadn't acquired all the tools he felt he needed to, you know, to enjoy that hobby. And he had a garage full. So th- there's a hobby that I would highly recommend you don't go into unless you are super focused and you know exactly what it is you want to do. That hobby consumes money. Like, like I, I, I had to take a break from it because it was, it was literally draining me. Financially,
0: that's a that's that's I love the example, and it's it's kind of ironic that you are you that is one of your hobbies woodworking.
1: Well, I've 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 had to adopt a mindset that you know, these are the tools I have, and you know, I'll build what I can with these tools. I, I've and that's the only way I can approach the hobby because I I, I I was getting out of control. And I usually count on my wife to as a voice of reason, but she seemed to, you know, sort of step back, step away from from those decisions. And and you know, I, I I probably I thought what I was doing was sane. And you know, looking back, I, I was buying crazy things. You know, given the hobby, like so uh, that's how you. I had to. That's how I've changed my mindset. Is these are all the tools I have. What can I make?
0: Uh, do you think your wife stepped back because this was a hobby and something that you enjoyed, and that, and I, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that maybe that's a part of why hobbies can be dangerous, is because in, in, no one really bats an eye. Oh, it's something that I do for enjoyment. Let me have this.
1: Well, the the justification process for hobbies is it's wide open, right? You make all the rules. There's, there's no, you know, when you, when you're buying a, a house or a business or whatever there's, you know, the bank kind of tells you what you can afford or when you're buying a car, or, you know, there, you get input from, from people you don't want input from. But but in a hobby, you know, the, the, there is no real formal justification process and you just sort of go at it, you know, with a, you know, with a loose sort of set of morals or, or, you know, you, you don't have a, a stake in the ground and I, I don't know. For me, I I, I was able to justify things that I, I shouldn't have.
0: I think this deserves maybe a whole new episode in itself. But, you know, I,
1: th- I think you're right. This could be, <laughs> there could be a whole show there.
0: Definitely. Yeah. So if, if any of our listeners want a show on hobbies, let us know. And we'd be uh, more than happy to spend an hour talking about woodworking. But no, I, th- <laughs> I
1: think that would be a good hobby. You know, it if, would. If, if, I, I, th- I mean, a good hobby, a good show topic. <laughs> I think there's a lot of meat on the bone there. And you, that's coming from a vegetarian.
0: <laughs> and, but then if you look at it another way, I mean, you could say one of your big hobbies now is creating this podcast. And this is a, this is a very low cost activity. Um, that, I mean, there's big startup cost, not big, but slight startup cost. But now it's, it's pretty, pretty inexpensive.
1: You know, one of the things my wife likes about this particular hobby is the finished product doesn't take up any space. You know, she, she comments on that quite often.
0: Well, you were saying before we started recording that you have three of the same desks in your house.
1: Yeah, I do. Because <laughs> I, I enjoyed making them so much, I made three. But uh, it, yeah, you you can only make so much furniture before your house starts to get full, right? And it's so, but this particular hobby, this podcast, the end product is digital.
0: So your house starts probably looking like a, a hoarder's house of wood.
1: No, my wife keeps pretty good control over that.
0: Okay, that's that's good then. Uh, you were also mentioning it was it was I found it really fascinating. We were uh, when we were going through the show outline before we started recording that your son is actually into woodworking now too. Uh, was I was this an influence by you and and did you have a little bit of reservations about him pursuing a hobby that really cost you so much money?
1: Well, so I pursued the hobby from a power tool perspective, and my son is pursuing it from a hand tool perspective, and so the. The cost of the tools and the number of tools you need is is dramatically low. He's a minimalist at heart, so I I have no concerns whatsoever.
0: And and I guess that really does help. So if yeah, if any of our listeners are out there and and are woodworkers themselves, I think or even any hobby, I think there's always a low cost way to still pursue something you like.
1: You know, a real expensive one that I've seen is fishing, that can be a uh, astronomically expensive hobby it can also be a very inexpensive one too I mean you could you can fish you know a, a fishing pool and a little bit of tackle or you can have some you know decked out boat and uh, a fishing cottage and also you know you, there's no limit right so that that's a hobby I've seen cover quite a spectrum
0: oh yeah definitely I mean there's whole stores dedicated to to that alone Okay, before we get too sidetracked on hobbies and our <laughs> listeners start forgetting what episode they're actually listening to, let's get on to 4B, which is downsize your possessions.
1: Yeah, I talked about this earlier. I, I quite often get more contentment when I get rid of something out of my life than adding something. So it, it, it's just one less thing to worry about, one less thing to keep track of, one less thing to ensure, clean, tidy up. Uh, make sure it's okay. You know, it's having less possessions, you know, it it keeps you focused.
0: It's kind of addicting too. When you start getting rid of some, it's, 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 it kind of takes over. You want to see how much you can eliminate and how concise you can get your life to be.
1: Well, we, and we did an episode on minimalism, which really is, it's about minimizing, you know, the possessions in your life down to the, the things that just add value, you know, and get rid of all the things that don't add value.
0: And definitely if our listeners haven't uh, listened to that episode, it's in our back catalog and definitely listen to that because minimalism and contentness, contentness definitely go hand in hand, I'd say. Um, Let's move on to 4C. Four 4C four is build strong, positive relationships with people in your life. Care for them without strings attached.
1: Yeah, and th- this probably, you know, would fit the the thing that you're better to have Uh, a few really close friends than a a whole bunch of acquaintances that's been my philosophy in life is i keep my circle of friends fairly small but uh, they have similar values that i have which means i can interact with them on all sorts of levels and in and know that we're going to see the world the same way
0: and I like the bit about no strings attached because that ta- that also jumps into the idea of expectations and that y- you don't get let down by your friends if you have no, I guess no strings attached can be used in many ways, but in, in this sense, you-, you maybe don't, you don't get, yeah, you don't get let down if, if a friend is unable to do something or, or makes a promise they can't keep. So I, I think, I mean... Friends should generally hopefully be there for you, but I think if you, you don't rely on others too heavily and, and mostly rely on yourself, I think that's a good way not to get let down. Uh, let's move on to number five, and this is build an emergency fund, and I, I wanted to ask you about this one and, and how relevant you think this idea is to contentment.
1: Well, you want to have a good night's sleep. Uh, you know, a, a good mattress, a pillow, those are great. An emergency fund, even better. You know, that, that will keep you sleeping at night more than you know. And there's a thing called Murphy's Law, meaning, you know, something inevitably will go wrong. If it can go wrong, it will go wrong. I mean, that's a very negative attitude. But, you know, cars break down. You know, furnaces break down. Having an emergency fund, knowing that, you know, or people get laid off from their jobs. So having an emergency fund that can get you through those, those valleys, you know, those downtimes, that is a, that'll help you sleep better than anything.
0: I've heard a couple of different numbers tossed around for this, but at $1,000, 2000 what's a, what's a good base emergency, fund? I know uh, yeah. some money is better than none, but what, what would a, uh, what's a good number for our listeners to aim for?
1: So you start with a thousand, if you don't have emergency fund at all, start with a, you know, just focus on getting $1,000 in the bank. And once you've got that, that's called the starter emergency fund. Then your goal should be to have three to six months of spending. So, you know, we talked about having a budget, knowing how much your expenses are. So, having three to six months of expenses saved up is a fully funded emergency fund. And that, when I say three to six months, it really it depends on the the the, the stability of your income. You know, I've been working the same job for twenty years. I'm probably good with three months emergency fund. Somebody who's been working a job for six months or or a year, they might want a bigger emergency fund because their job stability is probably a little more in question.
0: Let's move on to number six, and that is establish a healthy career with lots of options if things get rocky. And I really, really like this point.
1: So I, I'm an accountant, and I, I probably have, our listeners have heard me say this a few times there's so many there is no shortage of jobs for accountants i mean you can be a bookkeeper an accountant an analyst there there is just a plethora of jobs in that field and you know full time part time seasonal you know tax uh, tax accountants is kind of a seasonal job so you could pick up extra work you can work part time you can work a full time job and a part time job so you want a career where you have that kind of flexibility so Uh, When I looked in accounting, that's the one thing I saw is, so if you're looking, you're looking for jobs that have part-time opportunities, full-time opportunities, and seasonal opportunities. That's when you know you're in a career that has lots of options.
0: No, that's a fabulous point. And I also like the way Trent Ham approached this as well. And it's even just creating a healthy relationship with those within your workplace in that, um, he says, quote, treat your downtime at your job as a way to invest in future jobs and pay raises. When you don't have an immediate task, use that time to build relationships with coworkers and with other people in your field, take on more tasks, end quote. So he talks about it more as a way to really build relationships with people in order to kind of leverage yourself within your field and, 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 and make a good name for yourself. So even within your example, Trevor, if you, uh, if I mean, you live in a small town, Maybe there's only two, account, two accounting firms in your small town. So, I mean, if word gets around that you are a good accountant, I mean, word, word by mouth is sometimes a stronger way than anything else to get hired. So you'd be burning bridges if you, uh, if you, if you weren't uh, a good accountant.
1: Well, what Trent's talking about is everyone knows what an entrepreneur is, right? That's somebody who starts a business. Well, he's talking about what I, what I refer to as an intrapreneur, meaning you're entrepreneurial within your organization, meaning you're looking for opportunities to make yourself indispensable or make yourself, you know, broaden your horizons within what, within a given organization that you work. And there isn't many companies that don't embrace that mindset.
0: Oh, for sure. and And, and I think the how this is rooted in contentment is just that again like you said you're indispensable to the company and and you can take contentment in knowing that you have job security and job stability which equals an income which again relates to personal finance and the stress that you have when you don't have one
1: you know there's a great book i read and it's called Lynchpin. it's by seth godin and i would recommend anybody who's beginning their work career to read that book and it, it really talks about this, how to make yourself indispensable. And it, it doesn't take uh, unique skills. It doesn't take, uh, you know, uh, rare opportunities. It, it just takes constant effort and enthusiasm. I mean, it's a, it's a linchpin, Seth Godin. It is a fabulous book.
0: We're going to have that book in our show notes, and we're also going to have it up on our book list on our website at livelifesimple.ca, where we are starting our massive book list with with suggestions from your listeners as well, if you have any that you think we'd enjoy or, or, or our other listeners and would enjoy as well. So let's move on to the second last point, and the second last point is when things were, you take action to minimize the potential harm that could that they could cause –
1: well, and if our listeners remember, I talked about you know a situation if you had two cars and one car kept letting you down, kept breaking down, you know, on your way to work, leaving you stranded. You're you're better off without that car, you know. If you if if it means you only have one car, you're better off to have one car you can rely on than than two cars where one you can't rely on, because you're setting the expectations a lot of times for something that are, that is unrealistic. So so having fewer things to worry about sometimes makes your life a lot better.
0: And last but not least is number eight. And this has to be my favorite point of all the points, I think. And this is stop blaming others for your problems. And this all comes back to your previous amazing point, Trevor, of control.
1: Well, stop blaming people, others for your problems. When you do blame other people for the things that go wrong in your life, you, you that is called the victim mentality. And when you believe that, when you believe that the things that have gone wrong in your life are, the, are because of what other people did, you become powerless. Meaning, if you truly believe that the, the bad things that happen in your life were caused by somebody else, you have no control over those other people. The dichotomy of control belongs to them. So you become powerless when you blame the things that happen in your life on other people. And that is a a very dark and depressing place to be. So I would warn people to never go there. Avoid, I'm not saying it it doesn't happen. I mean, some people are in abusive relationships that they can't get out of. Those are extenuating circumstances. And I'm I'm not going to say for a minute that those people just change their mindset. I mean, that's a whole other scenario. But for most people, if you blame other people for your misfortune, You've adopted the victim mentality. You become powerless, and how do you stay motivated at that point? I don't know.
0: Have you ever fell victim to the victim mentality or found yourself blaming others for your problems?
1: I do. In a lot of times, it shows up in the form of envy. You know, and I'll envy somebody else's situation, and yeah, again, it it's the dichotomy of control. It really. I, I, I've been there for short periods of time and a lot of times it's somebody that'll pull me out of it, like my wife or even my children or my parents. Somebody will, will wake me up and say, you know, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're, you're wallowing over something you have no control over, like, like, or, you, or you're, you're, you're blowing things out of proportion. A lot of times people in their jobs, you know, they, you know, they'll, they'll get given a, a bad assignment at work and, and feel their, you know, the, that that they're they're stuck with this but you know generally speaking there's no chains in the doors i mean if if you're gay, if your job is it really sucks you can leave i mean you can find another job sometimes making these changes isn't easy but it's always easier than adopting the victim mentality
0: And I think this is a point that is is sometimes easier said than done because I think this takes practice and I know I've fallen victim to the victim mentality in the past and it, it is something that you have to work on that maybe doesn't come naturally or easily at times.
1: Well, you need a good support system around you. I mean, if you're surrounded by toxic people, I mean, they can actually promote the victim mentality and plant the seeds in your head. So being... Being around people that, that think that way, you become very susceptible to it.
0: Before we uh, close, I do want to read a point um, from, from Stop Letting Others for Your Problems. And Trent says, quote, in the end, the only thing you can control is yourself. You can't control what others do. The difference between a good outcome and a bad outcome in the end is you, end quote. And I think that summarizes that up really nicely.
1: Yeah, I think that that is a, I mean, at the end of the day, contentment is a state of mind.
0: So I I just want to close this episode off with uh, one more quote from Trent Ham's article. And he says that, quote, The beauty of contentment is that your day-to-day life feels good. It's not a constant state of bliss and happiness, but it's a state where you feel good and you have good relationships in your life. It's in that state that happiness arises and automatically and with surprising frequency. And that was it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, make sure to check out our website, livelifesimple.ca. Head over to our Facebook and Instagram as well. It's uh, Ask Simple Money Solutions. And we can't wait to see you back here next week. Thank you so much for being here with us. Until next week, keep it simple.